Before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about Ground Zero and Power Kids. We had our back-to-school bash at Ground Zero. We had 116 teenagers in this room on Wednesday night. It went incredible. Worship was amazing. The preaching was amazing. Um, there was, how many, ki- how many kids did we get that got saved? T- 24 kids in the last two weeks have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, We had an inflatable bull come from Lubbock, and the guys that brought it down, they asked Andrina during that she was getting them food and drinks, and um, they said, what is this place? And she was like, oh, this is a church. And they're like, a church? They were just, they were blown away. They were shocked that it was our youth ministry. Um, Let me tell you, 98% of youth groups do not look like what we do here in Tulia every Wednesday night. Uh, When you think about it, we have an entire church building down the street just for our kids' ministry. That that's unheard of, and that's because of y'all's faithful giving, because you um, care about the kids and teenagers in this town, and also Pastor Rusty and Pastor Vicki uh, caring about the students and always wanting to minister to the kids in this town. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support in that. So um, this morning, we are going to talk about something pretty radical pretty ridiculous, something that may ruffle some feathers. But we're going to talk about this morning has the power to make your life a lot better. It actually may even change your life if you feel like you can do this. And that ridiculous idea is choosing to be unoffendable. Now, how I came across this topic is this book. It's called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. You can get it um, on Amazon for a little under $10. I think I paid $9.86 for it. So after the sermon, if you feel like you want to read the book, some of you may not because it stretches your thinking. It's um, it, it really makes you think about what it means to be a Christian. So you can get it on Amazon um, if you want to after, after the service. All right, before we get started, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you open our hearts this morning. I pray that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I pray that you speak through me and that the Holy Spirit guides me as I preach this morning. I pray that we're humble, Lord, that our hearts are open, and that we can receive what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I came across this book by Brands Hansen called Unoffendable, and when I first heard of the title and I read the first chapter, well, I was offended. Yeah, I thought, oh yeah, just choose to be unoffendable, like that's really our choice. So I looked up the definition of offended, and one definition says, resentful or annoyed, typically as a result of a perceived insult. Another says to cause dislike anger, or vexation. So both definitions say something about anger and resentment. Now, there's also another definition that also talks about having our senses offended. And when we change a baby's dirty diaper, I'm sure we can all agree that the smell is offensive. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's the taking of offense and the very assumption that I'm somehow entitled to be angry with someone. So you might ask yourself, surely there's got to be a place for righteous anger against someone, right? Or surely there are times that we are justified in our anger. I've even thought, isn't being offended just part of being a Christian? But let me tell you what the Bible says about being angry. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And then if you jump down to Ephesians 4.31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now, Paul is saying clearly, yes, we will get angry, right? That happens. We're humans. But that we have to get rid of it. We have to deal with it in the moment. We have no right to it, and we can't hold on to it. And it's funny, this morning, of course, all week, I'm like, oh, I'm going to preach on not being angry. And then the devil gives me every opportunity to be angry, right? This morning, I go into the bathroom, and my three-year-old has gotten into my makeup, and she's used my blush brush to put foundation on it. She used my foundation brush to put blush on it. I'm trying to get ready. I'm in a hurry. I don't want to be late because I'm the one preaching, so I kind of have to be here on time. And I'm just like, going ballistic, right? Like, ah, you you can't get into my makeup. And Arthur's like, aren't you teaching on anger this morning? I'm like, oh, yes, of course I am, you know? So we often won't admit this, but like sometimes we like being angry. We don't like what caused the anger, but we like thinking we've got something on someone. Have you ever been mad at your spouse and you're pre-thinking about your fight? So you have something on somebody? Yeah, I'm guilty. I've done that. So we can say, oh, so-and-so did something wrong, sometimes horribly wrong. And then the anger offers us a sense of being morally superior. It makes us feel better about ourselves. That's why we call it righteous anger, after all. It's moral and good is what we want to think. But the problem is righteous anger directed at someone is pretty tricky. So it turns out that I tend to find that Ashley Ramirez's anger is more righteous than others' anger. That's because I'm so darn right. Ask my husband. He knows, right? But I'm me. I tend to side with me. My arguments are amazingly convincing to me. But inconveniently, there's this proverb that says, you may believe you are doing right, but the Lord will judge your reasons. So it's not just me. We all apparently find ourselves pretty dang convincing. Of course, my anger is righteous. It's righteous because clearly I'm right and they're wrong. My ways seem pure to me, always. In the moment, everyone's anger always seems righteous. But here's the thing. The thing that you think makes your anger righteous is the very thing that we are called to forgive. Grace isn't for the deserving. Forgiving means surrendering your claim to resentment and letting go of the anger. So anger is extremely easy. It's our default setting, right? It's so easy to go there. Love, on the other hand, is very difficult. Love is actually a miracle. And I think we do this with Jesus all the time. We take something like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But then in the end, we tack on, but really holding on to anger is justified. We do it with Apostle James, who says in James 1.20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. But then we want to tack on, holding on to anger is justified. We do it with Paul in Colossians 3.8 when he says, but now is the time to get rid of anger Rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. We don't like that anger part. We want to hold on to it, 
keep it. We think that when he said to put anger out of your life, that he really meant except when it's constructive anger. But let's face it, anger will happen, right? We're human. But the point is, we can't keep it. Now, you may be asking, what about all the injustice that happens in the world? Shouldn't we be angry about that? But here's the thing. I believe we can recognize injustice, grieve it, and we can even act against it, but without rage, without malice, and without anger. Some people say we have to get angry to fight injustice, but I've noticed the best police officers don't do their jobs in anger. The best soldiers don't function out of anger. The best bosses don't lead out of anger. Anger does not enhance our judgment. Now, I know some people think this idea is nuts. And I know saying that we're not entitled to anger is crazy. But I think, I want you to think about how much better your life could be without taking offense. And I think it can help all of us understand Jesus even more. Now, I want to make it very clear before we move on that there is right and wrong. And that sin is wrong. And you might be wondering, but what about being angry at sin, Ashley? But with this question, and by sin, we are usually referring to other people's sin, not our own sin. So are we to hold on to anger and offense at their sin? Well, what I know is that God took out his wrath on Jesus for other people's sin. And I believe Jesus suffered enough to pay for it and for my sin too. Gosh, I'm so thankful for for that, that he will deal with others' sins and it's not my deal. That's a huge relief. Again, life is so much better this way. And for my own sin, well, it says in Psalms 103, 12, that he's taken that sin away from me as far as the east is from the west. I guess I could whip up some anger, but honestly, after reading the verses, you just, you're stuck feeling grateful. And what's more is in the wisdom, Bible's wisdom literature, anger is always associated with foolishness, not wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Let that sink in. When anger lives, that's where it lives, in the bosom of fools. So when we're entitled to keep our anger in our bosoms, whether it's toward the sin of a political figure, your spouse, your deceased father, your dumb neighbor, your family member, whoever, it's perfectly natural and it's perfectly foolish. And make no mistake, foolishness destroys. Being offended is a tiring business. Letting things go, letting things go gives you energy, it gives you peace, it gives you an opportunity to move on. And believe me, like I said earlier, choosing to be unoffendable is not easy. I've tried it and I'm far from perfect at it. But the times that I choose to just let stuff go, it always turns out better. I now try to go into situations thinking, I'm not going to be offended no matter what. So my husband, he's actually way better at it than me. His emotions are pretty even killed most of the time. And he's been working at his job in Amarillo. He works at Bell Helicopter, and he's been there for about 15 years. And he's always had the goal to move up into management at his job. And let me tell you, he's had so many opportunities to be offended at his job. In the early days, he had a boss who got in his face and cussed him out. And Arthur was putting, working on the aircraft and had a drill in his hand and took the drill and 
turned it on in front of the guy's face. The only reason he didn't get fired was because the boss was cussing him out. But the guy was a micromanager and made Arthur's job really horrible for a really long time. Then he had a great boss who recognized Arthur's hard work and he promised to move Arthur up. And then Bell did layoffs and they let that boss go. Then he had a boss who promised him the same thing. And then when it came down to it, he did the interview. It went great. And then the boss picked his friend who he plays golf with and drinks beer with. And then he had a boss tell him that unless he just takes whatever is offered and plays the political game, that he will never be promoted. So Arthur never got offended. He stayed the course. He put his head down. He worked hard. And a few weeks ago, he had an interview for a management position that he wasn't qualified for. They were advertising the job as needing a bachelor's degree and certain qualifications, and there was an engineer who interviewed and multiple people with higher qualifications. So we honestly didn't think he would get the position. And honestly, when you have hope for something for so long and you get disappointed time and time again, it's so easy to not have hope. It's so easy to not have faith. It's so easy to not believe. But tomorrow... Arthur starts his new position as project manager, and he's going to get his own office, a nameplate outside his door, a new office desk and chair, a pay raise. God came through, right? But what if he had decided at the beginning that he was going to be offended with his first boss? Or what if he had gotten offended when they fired his good boss? Or the many times he got passed up and it was given to someone else? Let me ask you this. Don't miss this. What calling does God have on your life that you can't walk into because you're choosing to be offended? What calling does God have on your life that you can't walk into because you're choosing to be offended? What promise are you missing because you don't want to wait on God? Listen, one thing I've learned is God doesn't do anything in a hurry, right? We waited eight years for a baby. We waited eight years for a promotion, and in Psalms 37, 34, it says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Man, that's such a good promise. You shall inherit the land. You shall inherit the promotion. You shall inherit your dream of having a baby. You shall inherit healing. You shall inherit peace in your mind. That's what happens when you wait on the Lord. That's what happens when you're unoffendable. Now, let's imagine for a moment if Christians were known to be unoffendable instead of being known as offendable. How many more people could we reach for Christ? And it reminds me of the story of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a man who lived in Jericho, and he was in charge of collecting all the taxes. And he was a very rich man, and he was rich because he stole money from the taxpayers. And when Jesus was walking through this town, Zacchaeus became curious, and he wanted to see Jesus just like everyone else did. And the only problem was that he was short. He was a short man, and he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed up a tree in order to see Jesus walk by. And when Jesus approached the tree, he looked up and he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to stay with you today. He just invited himself over like, hey, I want to hang out with you, eat your food, rest in your palace, relax. And you know what everyone else said? Oh, my gosh, Zacchaeus is a sinner. 
He's a thief. He's a liar. And Jesus wants to go eat with him and spend time with him? They were offended. You know what Jesus chose? Jesus chose grace. Jesus chose love. You know what grace sometimes looks like? It looks scandalous. It looks scandalous to everybody around that was standing when Jesus was walking by. They thought he, he shouldn't go hang out with Zacchaeus, the sinner. Listen, Arthur and I have been to our fair share of parties thrown by sinners. And some Christians may ask, oh, how can you go to that party and be offended by all the things the sinners are doing? And let me tell you why. I choose to be unoffendable by other people's sin because I have the opportunity to show the love of Christ. I have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I have the opportunity to be the light in a dark place. And if we as Christians don't go out and do that, who will? Now, if I show up to the party and they can't tell the difference between me being a Christian and me being a sinner, then we have a problem. Ask yourself this the next time you're at a party, you're hanging out with family or friends. Can the people around me tell that I'm a Christian or am I doing all the same things the sinners are doing? That's a hard question to ask yourself. But gosh, I'm just in a place in my walk with Christ that I'm tired of just going to the Christian life groups and having all my Christian friends over to eat and just socializing with church people. We've got to do more than that. There's a huge group of people in our towns who don't know Christ. If you're a longtime Christian, let me ask you this. When is the last time you invited someone to church? When is the last time you talked about Jesus with someone? When's the last time you ministered to a kid or a teenager and showed the love of Christ? If we aren't doing these things, we aren't doing our jobs. I don't want to get to heaven and God ask, well, Ashley, how'd it go with your time on earth? And I'm like, well, I hung out with my Christian friends a lot. Oh, and we talked about how good you were and how faithful you were. And I went to church every Sunday to encourage all of my Christian friends. And then he asked, what about all the sinners in your area? Oh, oh, no, 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 God. I, I didn't associate with the sinners in town. I was offended by their sin and all the bad things they do. You want to know what happened to the sinner, Zacchaeus? His heart was changed by grace and love. He told Jesus, I will give half of my riches to the poor. I will also pay back four times as much to anyone I have ever cheated. And you know what Jesus told him? He said, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. That's what it's all about. Jesus didn't say, oh, there's Zacchaeus who's a sinner. Oh, I'm offended. I can't hang out with him. How many souls are being lost because we choose to be offended? Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it the norm? Absolutely not. But we are called to love people where they are and to love them boldly. And if you really want to go crazy, you can even try and like them too. You know what people are not looking for? They are not looking for someone with an impressive religious resume. When people are in a crisis or they need to know that God loves them, they don't seek out the guy who has all the answers or who radiates being morally superior or shows disapproval. They want someone who loves God and loves them. 
I have a friend who actually goes to church here, and I have some friends outside of church too. I'm working on that. And um, she was in a situation where she had every right to be offended. Her daughter is a senior this year, and she has played volleyball for the last five years. And they were excited to watch her play volleyball her last year of high school. Unfortunately, she got cut from the volleyball team her senior year. And without going into all the details, a lot of unfair things happened. Mama Bear had every right to be offended. You could justify it a million different ways in your head on why it would be okay to be offended. And listen, since I've become a parent, I've learned that when unjust unjust things happen to your kid, you want to go ballistic on someone, right? You want to be, you want to take care of it. A mama will go to the ends of the earth to protect her babies. But instead of choosing to be offended, this mama decided to send the coach an email to say that she was disappointed in the decision, but that she hoped they had a great season, that she was going to support them, and that she strives to love deeply and forgive quickly. Now, I know some other mamas whose daughters also got cut, and believe me, they didn't act so graciously. I, I, kudos to the coaches because they have a very hard job. They have to make hard decisions and deal with a lot, and not everyone treats them very nice. So if you're a coach, thank you. And I told that mom after she sent that email and made that decision to not be offended. I said, God is telling Jesus in heaven, add another room to her mansion. Add another jewel to her crown. Pastor talked about that a couple of weeks ago in his reward series. That when we make good decisions and we are showing the love of Christ, we are going to be rewarded. And you know what else? Refusing to be offended by others is a powerful door opener to actual relationships. The coach was shown the love of Christ. That coach was shown grace. Now, if someone invites her to church, she's not going to say, oh, no. I know how people act who claim to be Christians. I don't want any part of that. Instead, she might say, oh, yeah, I've been shown love. I've been shown grace. I'd love to join you at church. So before, I used to think that to be Christ-like meant to be alienated and put off by the sin of others. But it's quite the opposite. Refusing to be alienated and put off by the sin of others is what allows us to be Christ-like. A friend came up to me after the first service and told me she had been removed at a position at her job, like a demotion, um, taken out of her position and moved down. And she was really offended. And she said, now I have access to more people. I have um, access to Uh, minister to more people, and maybe God is moving me down to expand my platform to minister to more people and show the love of Christ to more people. That's what not being offended helps you with. She was like, now I can go out and show the love of Christ. Now I can go out. I'm not confined to an office all day anymore. My platform has been expanded, and that goes for everyone. You do not have to be in ministry to minister to the other people in your life, your friends, your family, your coworkers, everybody that you see every day. So I want to leave you with this challenge. Drop your anger, let things go, embrace forgiveness, and choose to be unoffendable. Now, this just 
scratches the surface of maybe two chapters. So if you want to be challenged, you want to be stretched, I would encourage you to read this book. It's an eye-opener, and it really um, expands your thinking. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to give up our anger and embrace humility, Lord. I pray that we can consistently practice letting things go, that we embrace forgiveness and are able to love others in risky, unexpected ways, that we choose to be unoffendable and that we flourish the way God intends us to. Help us release religious burdens and experience the joy of gratitude, perhaps for the first time every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.